2: keep the music flowing we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one so check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast so you want to be a rock and roll star no well how about a podcast star well as it turns out there's a new all-in-one platform just for you it's called anchor and it's the easiest way to make a podcast and check this out it's free And welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK, Independent Louisville, at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sounds, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Hello to all the subscribers. Thank you all for checking out the series every single week with new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Appreciate you listening every single time. Uh, and uh, leaving comments uh, wh- wherever you're listening from. Uh, if you haven't already, please give this series a rating, leave a review, you know, the, the, the usual things that you ask for in a podcast. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, please do hit that subscribe button right now, too. Of course, you can do it anywhere you get your favorite podcast from, like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and, uh, and Spotify and YouTube, ACAST, Stitcher, Podchaser, etc. cetera, et cetera. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Polisa. I'm going to be talking with Chani about the new record, When We Stay Alive. Now, this is a record with with a very interesting backstory, a very scary backstory to a point. Uh, Just over a year ago, Channy was uh, on her roof, as she will tell you, and she fell like 10 feet and uh, was basically paralyzed for a long time. uh, And luckily, recovered. Uh, But uh, half the record written before then, half the record afterwards, a lot of the songs speak to two very different points in her life. And we're going to get the whole story on that. What happened, how it affected the songwriting, and how the characters within the songs, you know, herself... Uh, kind of develops and changes throughout. But there's a bigger picture to it, too, uh, with the words, When We Stay Alive... Uh, does mean something very personal but there's something in the bigger cultural context as well and you don't have to think too hard to figure out exactly what that is she's also a fantastic collaborator up uh, with uh, aaron desner and justin vernon which as, as a big collective is like over a hundred artists in this thing it really kind of changes the idea of what a band can be and chaniel tells how you know how that actually affects her songwriting on this record specifically we'll hear about teaming up with boys noise singing with lane 8 backing up swamp dog as well as the stories behind some of these singles like Driving and Trash in Bed and Steady. So let's get into it. Talking about the record When We Stay Alive. It's Kyle Meredith with Polisa. Yeah,
1: this is Chani
2: Leno. I got to tell you how much in love with the the new record I am, uh, When We Stay Alive. It's cool music, it's fun music, it's dark music, it's sad music, it's sort of everything I I want in an album. I I know it's got a a heavy backstory, and I figured we would touch on that because with a title like When We Stay Alive, this is something that I feel like it probably means a lot of different things, both personal and in the bigger context, but in the personal story it traces back at least half of the record um, from a fall, right?
1: Yeah, it was about a year ago, so now at this point I'm like, you know, kind of over it because i i did my work uh in uh kind of processing it and i'm kind of like i don't know was it that big of a deal but yeah at the time it was a big deal <laughs> um i fell from my roof doing some classic minnesota winter housework and i you know at first couldn't walk and then did some physical therapy and um war break for about 3 months and I'm 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 really back back in full use of my body and but yeah it was it was a lot at the time and but what it did do is I was kind of like not really making time for music and then all of a sudden I had time to, to write so it, it made it so that we got this record done. Yeah. Well, I wasn't really that interested in rushing it or really prior you know prioritizing it I guess.
2: So so when you're in a moment like that um you know paralyzed for the moment uh, I mean, and you do start thinking of music, does, does, does it start coming from a different angle than what you're used to?
1: It came from a place of some freedom and um, that I tend to be a really anxious like many people, and I deal with that by being very, by working, 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 and I always have something to do. And so suddenly I didn't have the ability to do anything. And for me, I... I can be creative when I feel like I've taken like I'm stable and I've taken care of th- other things that needed to happen because it's always been a kind of a cathartic thing that has been a, been for me and so I always feel like I have to take care of the necessary things and I started to see it as the only thing I could do for a bit and so I got to have this gift of quieting down everything else and I'm not being able to like lift anything or you know cook or or like even really go outside because it was so very snowy and icy and so I just had to I could be quiet and just make music my job in a way that I didn't really feel was warranted before this Um, so I I, uh, yeah I just kind of gave me the freedom to like do music without being thinking that I should be doing something else and so I took it you know like I would really, I focused on trying to be really intentional with it and try new things out. So from that sense, it was similar where I was trying to take each song from a different angle or, you know, make it, um, like when I was writing the song B again, I tried to make it like, you know, what does it feel like when you make writing a song like a ceremony or like a ritual and you, um, and, and what does it feel like sometimes when you're kind of like silly and just sort of like, you're writing you know, in a different about a different person or in a different personality than you usually exist in, which is kind of like fold up and uh where I'm I tend to live as somebody who's kinda of like I don't need I don't need anything. Like I don't I'm very like self reliant to a fault. So in fold up it's kind of like um this sort of different personality. It's kind of like I'm lonely and I'm And I, you know, I get what I, I get what I give and I'm kind of like, I'm in this position because I'm just kind of like a a whiny, uh, needy. So yeah, just kind of trying to see each song from a different angle. And some of that involved like seeing my situation from a different angle um, and believing that it didn't matter that it happened anymore. And I was at that point of healing where I was ready to explore like how that, worked in all different areas of my life what what happened to me mentally and to me physically when I was moving on and embodying my life as if um, stories that used to even slightly hold some kind of like identity for me never happened and they had you know absolutely no hold on my life even as saying like oh that thing happened and then I survived it but um, what happens when I take this idea of like it doesn't even matter that it happened and where I am now and being present and what I'm going to do with just where I am now. Um, you know, What am I going to, what do I have to say about that?
2: Yeah, I've heard you uh, or maybe read you saying it's in a way like rewriting your own history.
1: Yeah. And I, that was kind of a revolutionary idea to me because I think there's, there is some importance and I think it's really a personal thing and everybody has to do what they need to do. But, you know, even, just little things where we find identity and surviving something, even that for me started to wear me down. Or as my doctor that I was seeing, you know, pointed out that I'm still kind of holding on to in that, like some regret and shame that I, that some things happened. Like what happens if I like just completely rewrite the story that I, I went up on the roof, but then like, You know, my partner came out and was like, hey, what are you doing? Let's, you know, get down from there, you know, like uh, or like I just like fell into a big cloud of snow and, uh, you know, some magical fairies picked, you know, picked me up. And just like, what is the importance of a reality in the future and now, like in the the past reality? Like what? And it was kind of an experiment, you know, Um, if people ask me what happened, I'm not like nothing or, you know, I'm also not that dramatic that I completely lived in my. In my own rewriting for my own, you know, but, you know, being able to exist in, in in this world and not is kind of where I like to try to be.
2: Can we all, like, as a nation, do that whole exercise come like, no, <laughs> mid-November? <laughs> is that something we go Exactly,
1: all <laughs> <on>? <laughs> exactly. I mean, you have to have some of that to be, yeah, to be active and involved and saying, like, there is hope. There is a hope that things can get better. And some, and that is a little bit like forgetting a bit about what has happened in our history as a country and in this world as, as humans, you know, it's like a little bit, you have to forget a little bit about what we've done and um, only with the purpose of believing that it's possible for us to improve. We I mean, care about each other more than ourselves,
2: and I guess that's where the uh, the dual play of that title, "When We Stay Alive," comes through. Because on one hand, it you know, it's like, is it hopeful? Is it cautionary? And and, and is it everything at once?
1: Yeah, I think it is that thing where it is sort of like everything is political. Everything is you know it has a, it has a lot of different meanings for me. You know, even yeah, it has a lot of different meanings for me. I, you know, I tend to be very like. Very future driven, very like the end is coming. Um, But I'm also a parent, so I can't share that with my children. But how do you, how do you kind of turn it on its head for yourself and look at it from a different direction that, okay, well, what if this catastrophe does happen? What if Trump does get elected again? And then, but we're all still here, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, what are we going to do then? Or, you know, what if. You know, half of the world does go up in flames and then some people are left. And, you know, what what are we going to do? And so if you live in that doomsday, I remember when I was growing up, there was like a movement in the kind of in the evangelical or um, kind of far right where it was like, it doesn't matter if you recycle or litter because this is not our home. Like we're all going to heaven if you believe in Christ, you know, right, like it right. doesn't matter what we do to this earth. And that kind of mindset that kind of permeates even non-religious people. People, like, it doesn't matter what happens, because I'm leaving this world, either in death or whatever. And so I don't care what happens. But how do you think about, you know, what about when the people, you know, thinking about, yeah, what happens if you don't die? Or if, uh, you know, we're here after this catastrophe, and you have to keep living. and So instead of thinking about the worst, thinking about like, a little less, you know, dramatically, like death will save us. Instead, like, what about life? And what are you going to do with your life?
2: Interesting. I, I've never thought of the context like coping mechanisms in songwriting.
1: It's, uh, it's kind of, kind of yeah. like a
2: first <laughs> that I can think of. Anyway. I
1: mean, I've written so many songs for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look back and I'm like, man, I've written a lot of songs. So i got to keep it interesting for myself. And I'm always trying to figure things out in songs and in writing.
2: Well, there's um. it seems to be another angle on, on exactly that right there because... You've been a part of the—I don't know if there's a proper way to say this—the thirty-seven D zero three D collective.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and and this is with uh with Justin and and, and Aaron Desner and um, this collective. You know, I, I've talked with Aaron about this before about it, it. The idea of it almost seems to me like it changes what a band is, what it means to be any sort of band, like like a fluid version of something like that. And I was wondering, like, has that affected your songwriting in, the, in that way?
1: Well, it affected it in this record in the sense that usually Ryan was my main producer that I was speaking to. And he and I have a a special relationship musically because it's like I usually just sort of he's he's somebody he's a musician. Like if he sends me a track, I just know what to do to it. And I just like I know what to say to it. And we kind of are, I feel like I'm responding to him and and he responds back to me. And then this record, he had like 12 or 13 other people collaborating with him on on the tracks. And, And I knew all of them well from people, or not well, some of them, but I knew them. And so getting used to these other voices, and then it was like I was speaking back and responding to different people than I had, you know, a more of more of like a you know collective literally in um, the songwriting and for me that was a big deal because it's such a personal experience for me um the people that i make music with i often get very close to which is why i've married two of them um and it's something that i really fight against but it's like I tried to fight you know, with that in myself and, and put it at bay so that I can, and I've gotten better at it as I get older, so that it was a really interesting experience for me this time to really, like there's a song called Feel Life that's pretty much the basis of it is a song that Andrew Broder wrote from Fog, and it's it's really like his voice. That's not a song that Ryan would write, like a piano tune like that. And then Ryan added himself and his voice onto it, but I think it was—it's open that experience of working with people has kind of opened me up a little bit to collaborating with people in real time as somebody who who is really shy and doesn't really make—I'm not a mover and a shaker or a networker. Like I'm—I really am, It takes me a while to get to be able to open up. But as I get older and through experiences like people where you're put into a space and you have only a week and you don't want to leave having done nothing, you know, people are giving you the opportunity to To um, make something and take care of you while you're there you know, room and board and then in exchange you make music it kind of pushes me and it pushed me to, to try to be braver about working with people that I didn't know and then for the pure, you know, none of it was going to be recorded or sold or you know, I guess it's up on people now but it was just for the pure act of making, um, which I really love and that I think, you know, this past couple of years, then police have made like two other records with Dustin Son and Task Force, you know, and a lot of it was just like getting used to and comfortable with just making stuff that will probably never come out or making stuff that for just the act of making it that will then inform the stuff that you're going to make in the future. So I think that that fit in line with how police has operated in a lot of ways in the past of making and making with people outside of even the people collective, but just making music with friends as that's sort of the beginning of police and what we started doing and kind of how we've carried but we really opened up to more people after the collective festivals in Berlin over the past three or four years Mm -hmm. so it kind of yeah just it just broadened our um our horizon and for me shook me out a little bit of feeling timid and don't don't want to impose or think that you know uh, anybody wants to work with me, it's kind of got me out of, like, just, yeah, just giving it a try.
2: You definitely hear, you know, some new sounds all throughout this record. I mean, I don't know if Steady feels as different to you as it does to me. That, that's kind of one of them that I hear. But even the B-side to Driving, which I'm in love with, that song Trash in Bed, and that's you mm-hmm. working with uh, Boy's Noise, right?
1: Yeah, he was gracious enough to kind of help tune it in in the end Um, and that was the one of the first songs we wrote for this record and that that was a couple maybe like two and a half years ago because that was something that we toured with Europe in Europe about two years ago we played like six of the songs on the record just to like try them out and try this new drum setup we were doing and see if it was a good idea to go that was kind of what we were aiming for the rest of the songs to sound to move more in that like techno direction with all the all loving that music and that's not where the record went <laughs> but um and so that's so why that song yeah it's it kind of a standalone and but um yeah we um yeah alex is awesome and i sang on um, mayday on his record a couple records ago and dustin's on produced a, a song with ryan on this record that also you know it was like we wanted to work with dustin and make some techno songs and they ended up being just like is like techno producers. They want to make non-techno songs. Right,
0: right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, they wanted and Dustin wanted a break from making like cl- club music and making some um, some songs with me that were yeah. You know, just like song songs first chorus first chorus bridge. So it, it yeah it was it's just been really fun to just see where because that's what's so wonderful about making music is you. You know, it pulls the stuff that's inside of you out and um it tells you, you know, what you're what you're gonna make and it's it's exciting or interesting at least to see what people what comes out of people. But um yeah, so
2: Yeah. I mean you're all over the uh, even the new Lane Eight record, uh brightest lights and what's mm-hmm. it's like two, three or four some odd songs on that one. With, with it being like someone else's record, you know, in these collaborations you're talking like May Day and that song and everything, I mean, do you feel as close uh, to those songs as as something that would be on just a Polisa record? Or is it sort of something completely different?
1: It is. It's very different, but I still care deeply about it. Like, those Lane 8 songs are some of my favorite songs that I've written because, one, the experience was so great, and it's vastly different where I'm in a room with Daniel and this other person named Kyle, who Kyle and I wrote a song together, Brightest Light, that was the lead single on the last Lane 8 record. And where, um, you know, when I write with Polisa, no one ever says like, oh, I wouldn't sing the verse like that. Or why don't we try a different word? You know, I just have free reign to say what I want to say and how I want to say it. And I, you know, I edit my lyrics over and over again for, uh, you know, a year or so but um it's a it's a really good challenge and it's to go into a studio with lane eight for instance where you know people are gonna give me suggestions and challenge the way i sing and challenge the way i write and that informs me so much when i go back and work on my own stuff because when i'm in my own community which is you know really like my family we all just kind of leave each other alone and that produces its own, has its own good qualities about it. But then you're kind of just sincerely who you are and able with your flaws. And and then when you're working with other people, that will point those things out because they're seeing you kind of for the first time. Yeah, that, those are both, they both, I really enjoy both of them. I really love writing for other people and uh, kind of being challenged by people I don't know, you know, who are free to be objective with me and aren't, uh, their ears aren't kind of like used to the way i do things and um so it kind of wakes me up out of my habits and uh yeah but study is kind of interesting because i think that really comes out of um ryan's work working a lot in nashville on a couple swamp dog records and because it does have this sort of broken down kind of country hint Mm -hmm. in a weird way Mm -hmm. and um i think that that was yeah came out of that
2: and you worth mentioning you're on the new swamp dog record as well
1: yeah i mean yeah very (laughs) very yeah (laughs) yeah lately
2: it's everywhere she's everywhere singing
1: backups singing yeah (laughs) singing backups and that's how i first got to know ryan was singing backups and gangs and um i love i love singing harmony like i think that's That's the
2: best. Now I I don't know the timeline of, like, say that you know Swamp Dog, or of course that's backup. Maybe that's not the right one, but uh, it's like Lane Eight. I don't know the timeline of you recording that one versus when you're doing When We Stay Alive, but. But, you know, when an artist is writing in in such a, you know, small amount, you get the same themes. And that's sort of how records happen, I guess. But uh, do do these songs speak to the same emotions that you're speaking to? Like, do the Lane 8 songs speak to the same emotions that you're speaking to from When We Stay Alive?
1: I think that I do. um, That's probably another fun thing is I do try to specifically not write about myself when I'm writing for other people. And um, the timeline is really interesting. And I think another reason why I loved working on those songs is I was at such a place of just kind of oh, just a really low place when I went to record for Lane 8. It was over my birthday a year ago, and it was literally 10 days before I fell. And, um, Daniel flew me out to Denver and I was just at a place where I was like, I have to find another job. I was working as a nursing assistant, but I was just, I was very depressed for lack of a better word. And I got there and I wrote with him for a week and I felt so alive. And I was just like, awake. I didn't have to like, you know, pound coffee or caffeine all day. I was like, my heart was beating. I was writing, I was, um, and writing love songs that were, you know, mostly sweet and not really the kind of stuff that I write, but, um, you know, trying to fit the song and I was, um, really enjoying it. And I left that being like, you know, even if I don't, this isn't like my career, I really, this music really is something that I should do because I really do enjoy it. And it's one of the, those things when you know, like you're, you know, you're sweating and your heart's beating and you feel awake and time is moving, but you don't feel like it. It even is. You're like, those are the kind of things that are called, I think, your passions or you know, things that you should do because they um, bring you life and energy. And I left that feeling that way. So that was a really positive trip for me because I'd been feeling really like I couldn't find my lighthouse. I couldn't find what I was supposed to do. So that was that timeline. And, and before that, I had written, you know, a year before that, I was writing, like, Steady and Forget Me Now and Trash in Bed. And and it was after, um, after and starting in the spring of 2019 that I started writing, like, Driving, mm-hmm. Be Again, Feel Life, Sold Up. So... Some of those qualities are different too, because some of them, the ones after uh, the spring were sung in my room, in my house, and then the ones before were sung at a friend's studio.
2: So and really hearing how the um, mm-hmm. the two parts of your life—I don't know if you, if it sounds like that to you—the hearing how the author sounds before an event and after the events, and and how it makes yeah. a complete album.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah. And they all kind of. work together because you know as it's not like i the accident really changed the core of me and um i still you know I, i i unfortunately did not become like completely uh always grateful and always you know rosy and always uh looking at life as I should, but um it really did inform me and, and, and still really does.
2: Well, I, I think you've made beautiful art once again with this record. Uh I honestly can't okay. say enough great things about it, uh, when we stay alive. Jenny, thank you for the music, uh, and especially thank you for the conversation today. This is uh this has been really uh really fun.
1: Okay, well thank you so much. Have a great day.
2: All right. Take care. Bye.
1: <laughs> yep, yeah, bye.
2: My thanks to Channy. The uh, new Polisa record is called When We Stay Alive. It is fantastic. Do check it out. And my thanks to you for listening to the uh, interview and checking out the series. Again, if you're not already a subscriber, I hope you do that before you get out of here by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening from right now, including YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, ACAST, Stitcher, Podchaser, NPR.org, any of those places. And if you already are uh, and you can leave a rating uh, or a review, it's always extremely helpful as well. After that, head to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews. Again, that's WFPK.org. ConsequenceOfSound.net has your music and film news. You can also find me on social media, any of the platforms, at Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network.
0: I'm Lior Phillips, host of This Must Be The Gig. We're a weekly podcast that documents everything about the world of live music. Speaking with choreographers, costume and set designers, the people who run beloved venues and festivals, and, of course, speaking with musicians about that one gig that changed their lives. Get your peek behind the curtain at consequenceofsound.net. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.